rendition of the Rays' Silhouettes, sung by Jonah Taylor and Jameson Elton, accompanied by Henry McNulty in our performance space. I'm E.J. Ionelli, and this is From the Studio. Today we're joined by the cast and creatives of Jersey Boys, the jukebox musical about the four seasons. It opens this Friday on the Spokane Civic Theater's main stage, and to talk about it, we have in the studio everyone's filing in right now. We have Jake Schaefer, who is executive director of the Civic and also is directing this production. Hi, Jake. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. We have Henry McNulty, music director at the Civic and also music director of this production. Yes. Good morning. We have Jameson Elton, who is playing Tommy DeVito. Hello. Good morning. And we have Jonah Taylor, who is playing Bob Gaudio. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so, Jake, this jukebox musical first appeared in 2005. It's come through through Best of Broadway twice now. Uh, why is it such a big deal that it's playing on the Spokane Civic Theater stage now? Uh, this is a non-professional premiere. We're one of the first companies in the world not affiliated with one of the professional productions. So it's a big get for our company in that we're celebrating Civic's 75th season. It's a new title to our market, but also... The project itself has a lot to offer talent. There's great music and great scene work for those that aren't musicians, but are actors that really love participating in musicals. Same for the audience. You have these songs that you know, even if you don't know you know them, you totally know them. And these stories that you never knew you were interested in, you sort of get entangled in. And Henry, with the the music of this production, um, it is packed. So you, I think we had uh, 22 songs just in the first act. Some of it is the Four Seasons, some of it is not the Four Seasons, and it kind of showcases the musical context. I was wondering if you could talk about maybe some of the challenges that you've encountered in performing this. Is there maybe a drive to recreate the songs as audiences will have heard them? Or are you maybe taking a more creative spin and offering your interpretations of them? Right. Well... First thing, I guess, what's what's interesting about the show is that the music spans decades of their career, um, going from um, songs that predated them, that they sang, uh, that were by other groups or that they performed when they were very small, leading up to their breakout hit of Sherry, which is maybe their most identifiable sound, um, with, with Frankie Valli's very distinctive high falsetto that kind of combines into this mix of early rock and roll and barbershop harmony that, that they discovered and, and gave them their unique sound, uh, all the way through into uh, the 70s and the beginning of disco. Um, as far as putting this production together, I think there, there is, with a jukebox musical, a certain amount of pressure to sound as much like the group as you can. But I remember saying pretty early on that while we want to evoke their sound. The goal isn't necessarily to be imitators of them or try to sound exactly like them. Your voice is your voice, and each of these performers should bring their own sound uh, to the production. 
uh, not just try to be imitations of the originals. And that's a really fine line to walk. So are there any points in rehearsals when you've said, you know what, we are being too imitative, or you know, you should sound more like yourself, you should capitalize on this aspect of your voice rather than trying to um, yeah, recreate this, this particular component? I, I think maybe the most notable example of that is um, Boyfriend, My Boyfriend's Back, sung by the Angels in right. the show, the, uh, the girl group that they are on tour with for a period. Um, and in that, um, the Angels had a, had a very specific, very forward <laughs> sound that, um, that, we've, that we've partly emulated, but that um, I don't think um, comes particularly naturally to the group, and rather than then force that very particular sound, I think they found their best version of it. Mm -hmm. So it still sounds like my boyfriend's back, but it sounds like um, this group that we have in our show doing it, not like a direct imitation. Yeah, and that's the beauty of live theater, is that you know you do get these very unique performances where no two are the same. So even if you've seen the Broadway version, right. you, know, you still come out to the civic version to see a, a different spin on it. And Jameson, your character, Tommy DeVito, now this musical is set up very interestingly because you have four different narrators mm -hmm. who are each presenting their perspective on the story, and you're the first to kind of give your rendition. Yeah. So how are things told from your perspective? Does your personality as Tommy DeVito kind of inform how you see events? Definitely. I think that you could definitely say that all of us are a little bit of unreliable narrators. <laughs> um, Definitely Tommy the most, though. Um, in the Broadway, or just in the script, they really went in on, on the part of Tommy um, to add some drama to the show. And so if you, you know, if there was an antagonist in the show, it probably would be Tommy. Um, Why so? Why does he make such a, an unreliable narrator and such an antagonist? Because, you know, he introduces the show and he, he's the one who introduced Frankie and, and um, you know, he was friends with Joe Pesci and, and all this crazy stuff. But he, you know, as much as the show is about their group, it's also about where they grew up and about, you know, New Jersey. And it was a very hard life. You know, Tommy DeVito dropped out in middle school and he was the youngest of nine um, siblings. And so, you know, he had a very hard life. He was hustling from when he was young. And so, you know, I think he just got involved in, in some, you know, bad crowds. And he was also, you know, loved gambling and, and all that. And that's ultimately what... Um, was a problem. and But I think he's an unreliable narrator to answer your question just because he just has a lot of pride about where he grew up and about, you know, Frankie, especially since when Bob Gaudio comes in, it's definitely changes the sound. And, and you know, Tommy definitely has some, like, deep-seated angst about that. <laughs> so Well, let's talk to our Bob Gaudio and right. get, his, get his perspective. Now, Jonah, um, if you could introduce us to Bob What's his personality like? Yeah, Bob is fun. He's very, so he was more experienced than, I mean, he had a number two record yeah. before he even met um, the Four Seasons, before he met Tommy and Frankie and Nick. Um, he, interesting enough, he was, he Joe, him and Joe Pesci were in a band. Joe Pesci was the singer and guitar player and Bob Gaudio was the piano player and was like, hey, I know this group looking for a fourth. Mm -hmm. And so that got him introduced to the group. But Bob himself is very like, he 
knows what he wants and he's always looking ahead towards the future to see what can I do to like further my career and he cares a lot about Frankie too and really wants Frankie to be successful throughout the whole thing so they have a special bond that I would say isn't like the bond with the other guys and how is his perspective unique because you know with these four different narrators they're each going to put their own spin on things how does Bob see things yeah Bob sees things very I think like logistical he a lot of his narrations are very expositional they basically are the middle part of the group like their base their rise to fame because he was the last piece of the puzzle is one of my lines say and there's oh sorry go on you're good he was the last piece of the puzzle so basically as soon as he came it was like kind of the start of their rise their come up we wrote all their hits (laughs) that too (laughs) and you know you say that and there is this pressure um to some extent when you're portraying real life figures. Now, um, Jameson, you had mentioned that you did a little bit of reading and a little bit of research Mm -hmm. just to kind of figure out where he was at. Did you feel as though you wanted to portray the real life man or did you want to stay more true to the the one that's presented in the script? And how do they differ? Well, so I I definitely did do, like find whatever I could on him. Um, There's not actually as much as you would think because he just wasn't that much of like a public person. But, um, you know, I think it does differ a bit from like what happened in real life. He definitely did accrue like significant debt from gambling and that def, you know, Frankie and Bob definitely did, you know, buy his, his, his rights and all of his stuff. But I don't, you know, I don't know if he necessarily, the reason that he left was what it is in the, in the show or, or certain things like that. But, um, you know, I don't know if they went in on Tommy because they needed some, you know, a character like that to be, you know, the problem of the show or if he really um, he really was like such a bad friend and, and all this. But I don't know. I think that it's OK, you know, to to put all that in because it makes the show it's all pretty much accurate. Like even if some of the stuff Tommy does in the show is inaccurate, like that's all stuff they went through. I mean, they had really crazy lives. And Jonah, what about you? Did you do some background research? Yeah, it's honestly so much fun getting to, you know, play someone who's still alive Mm -hmm. slash lived a life. And they, like, just the things you find. Like, Bob Gaudio wrote music for countless musicians like Michael Jackson and Diana Ross and all these other huge musicians, you know. He produced songs. And I actually ended up buying a CD of his called Audio with a G. And it's uh, basically a collection of all the songs he's produced for a bunch of artists, and it's really fun. Excellent. And Jake, what about you as the sort of creative force um, who's kind of overseeing this? Did you want to cleave to history, or did you feel as though there were characters in the musical that you wanted to honor? A little bit of both, but it definitely starts with the music for me. I remember hearing these records at my grandparents' house, and I wanted to evoke that feeling. So when the audience is watching our production, I want them to recognize that the talent is very individual, 
each of these people have worked very, very hard to deliver the script to you, which is the story of Jersey Boys. But by way of that, I hope it sort of drops one level deeper and everyone thinks back on when they heard those music, those songs for the first times or, uh, you know, highlights of their life. So many of the songs are songs that we still hear to this day in the back of our head. You go to a drugstore or a grocery store and they're literally still playing. So a little bit of the music driving that, coupled with the fact that you can't change the script. So I tried to focus on globally what the four characters want. And ultimately, the through line that's Frankie's perseverance. I mean, he's literally still touring to this day. And that's, I think, beyond commendable to be able to rally through eras and still put yourself out there and say, I'm still a musician. So I, I hope all of it is as fun and fresh and yet familiar as the songs are. And Jake, you said you, you had some personal familiarity with the Four Seasons music. And I think you can't escape the Four Seasons. Right. You, you, you know, I think, as you mentioned, even if you think you haven't heard it, you probably have. Now, Henry, your familiarity with the Four Seasons music, did you have extensive exposure to their body of work before this or did you just kind of know the hits and then have to learn some of the some of the additional stuff I'll admit I pretty much knew the hits and that was <laughs> about it there are there are a lot of songs in the show that I wouldn't have necessarily said were the the four seasons if if I didn't have Jersey Boys as the as the point of reference um, I, in fact we were even talking a little bit earlier about it um, I believe you mentioned that it's hard to believe that the same band did both Sherry and Oh What a Night, um, because they're so vastly different in style and content. Um, so I think most of my exposure as a young person had been through, um, had been very casual through uh, oldie stations or things that made it into movies, um, you know, the, the background in a commercial, something like that. A lot of um, very familiar tunes that I wouldn't have even known who they were. Um, and it's part of the joy of this process has been discovering the full discography of the Four Seasons and just how broad and deep it is. And we heard you on piano uh, accompaniment out in the mm -hmm. performance space. What sort of orchestration are you dealing with for this production? Uh, we have um, six other players. I'm also playing the show. Um, it's, it's largely a, um, like a small rock combo with the addition of um, a couple of woodwind players as well and um, two of us on keyboards. Um, so in that way we're kind of able to, to span those uh, styles as the decades go on, uh, going from, you know, the the uh, early sound like you like you heard for silhouettes at the beginning um, which is very very unplugged uh, into um, as you progress you know toward the 70s you have a lot more electronic elements to the sound and so we're able to to do that with the guitars and the um, the keyboards doing various patches and things 
And I'm assuming that you and Jake have probably had extensive conversations about this, but in terms of pacing, now jukebox musicals, it's very easy for them to fall into narrative song, narrative song, narrative song. Did you have extensive conversations about the pacing and how to move seamlessly, or do you think that the script kind of allows for that? Script definitely helps. That's uh, one thing that you will hear from any director or producer that has looked at Jersey Boys. Of all the jukebox musicals, this is one of the best put together, meaning it breaks that format so you don't get lost in the A, B, A, B. For us, um, the pacing, and I don't mean to rag on the music, but for all intents and purposes, we're talking about the same form of song and a same relative tempo, the whole show. We got different keys and different sounds, basically, but that's what it is. So even last night, I poked Henry about a couple of tempos because this show has come together so quickly that this week basically what we're doing is refining, polishing, solidifying, and gluing all at once. Um, and tempos probably won't be totally solidified until the actors land their show on Friday. Um, and I'm very much open to that process because every person involved in the show is super smart and they're taking their time to find the show, which back to your initial point, is really critical to manage the pacing. They have to they have to take their character's time, meaning Tommy's a little bit faster than Frankie. Bob's a little bit smoother than Nick. So the music around each of those seasons, or I should say in those seasons, um, I, I think we'll continue to play with, but what Henry's got laid out is a real nice frame. And Henry, could you speak to that, given that, you know, there is some similarity, um, stylistic similarity between the songs. How are you achieving that variety? And I guess that's kind of one of the challenges that we talked about earlier in the conversation when we're talking about some of the challenges that the music pre presented. How do you find variation and room to maneuver within um, relative consistency? Right. Well, I... I, I can't speak to the exact intentions of the authors of Jersey Boys on this, but um, over the course of the show, um, I feel it, it's almost a, a statement about how innovative the four seasons were. Because where we start the show, um, a number of the songs have very similar backgrounds, have the, the same chord changes one after another. And that's something that I associate with early rock and roll. Um, which was kind of the which kind of democratized um, popular music for people because if you could pick up a guitar and play four chords, you could start right. your rock band. Yeah, um, and that's what a lot of people did. The challenge after that was um, how do you set yourself apart? And um, I think Bob Gaudio as the final piece of the puzzle. Um, was uh, hugely influential on giving them their own sound. And as the show goes along, I think that you begin to hear more variations on those early themes. You start to hear uh, unexpected chords, unexpected textures. He's a, a true master of uh, unexpected key changes oh. back and forth in the middle of a song so that you're a little wrong-footed all the time and unable to predict what's coming next. Um, so I think that that sameness that we hear in some of the songs at the beginning is part of the point of the show because it's um, it's the starting point for them musically and we see how they grow out of it. 
And we have two of the seasons here. We have spring and summer. Um, <laughs> but we are missing fall and winter. Yes, um, Nathan and Hoy and Daniel Renz. They're so lovely. great. Yeah, they're awesome. Everyone in the show is awesome. They, and I'm not saying that lightly. Like, everyone has worked very, very hard, and their performances are stellar. Um, they both have day commitments, and we try to be really respectful of time. I'm very grateful for everyone here. We've been working really late at night on top of this, so these guys are clawing themselves up. And Daniel Renz, we just had him in the studio for All Shook Up. Yeah. And he is your Frankie Valley. You he know, is he's got to hit these Valley. falsetto notes. Yeah. Um, and you said it was Nathan Hoyt? Yeah, he's playing Nick, and Nathan is a master musician, too. He's ridiculously smart, and he has awesome intention. He's just is awesome, awesome in, in every way. Uh, Daniel can just get to those falsetto notes easy breezy they just happen and it's like casual his body or he's like in a weird angle and then they just sort of flow out like where's that come from yeah he's great and Jonah and Jameson, you were together last in the Wizard of Oz mm -hmm. yes. um, had you worked with Nathan and Daniel before I actually me myself Jameson and Daniel Renz we're, we're in all in a Production, a production of Aladdin of CYT. in 2011. And, yeah. Whoa. Um, and I was in Les Mis at the Civic like 10, like almost 10 years ago with Nathan when I was just a little, little kid. I and see, he was like just graduated high school. Because I'm wondering if there's a certain art-imitating life element to this where Definitely. you four are oh. coming together like the Four Definitely. Seasons. Oh, you may yeah. have had sort of tangential relationships yeah. beforehand. Because like I met Jonah in Aladdin and I was like... You were like 16 and yeah. I was like I was like 10. So it's definitely penultimate for sure. And how have you coalesced you four coalesced on stage as the four seasons? Do you find that you're uh, that you have a dynamic that feels almost band-like? What yeah, happened I mean, last Jonah's night? Dynamic something happened last night. There was like a spark last night. Did you guys <laughs> we do just something started in Korea show? We started grooving we, there and yeah. walk like a man. I don't know. Yeah. I think there was definitely, it's starting to feel like, I mean, we've always got along in rehearsals. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, but, we've been friends for years and years. But now that we're, like, in dress rehearsals, it feels like we're starting to make a... Definitely, yeah. All you have to believe... Feel brotherly, for sure. That's it. You have to believe that they're that close. Yeah. And there was something at rehearsal last night. It's like, you throw costumes and props and light cues at all these people, and... My job this week is to try to remove all of that and look at what we are doing. And it clicked a little bit last night. So I, I feel like although it's a lot of pressure to be one of the seasons in Jersey Boys, uh, they're totally rising to the occasion. And I, um, it's totally a testament to everyone's attention to like how specific you can be in a song is only as specific as the song until you make a character choice. Mm -hmm. And they're all very smart. So it's it's interesting, the the bond. And I bet money it will grow between now and mm -hmm. closing. Between now and opening. Oh, and opening, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jamieson, Jonah, Henry, before you move out to the performance space again to take us out, I did want to talk about another aspect of the show that I think is, is kind of interesting. These guys had sort of colorful backstories, and they came into contact with the mob. There's a, um, sort of an organized crime uh, tangent to the story. Can one of you speak to that and talk about how they, they factor in there? So in re that's one of the things I was talking about um, in real life. I don't know. They definitely both knew people in the mob. So Chip DiCarlo is in the show. He's, 
you know, he's a real person. And Frankie Valley in, in real life has multiple interviews talking about how he knew Jip working around the clubs and, you know, how, you know, he, he was like a father. But I don't know if in the show, the whole thing that happens, if that's exactly how it went down with the mob forcing Tommy out. Um, but in the show, you know, they definitely get involved with the mob, um, Tommy in particular, because he just accrues, you know, significant debt, um, and, and stuff from, from gambling and, and also, but I don't know if they were like, it's not like they were gangsters or anything or killing people, but they were definitely, you know, into some sketchy stuff. Their sure. atmosphere, yeah, I think was sort of one that lent itself to some mob activity. Exactly. And then you have a Jip DiCarlo type character who uh, preys on that, and then people can make bad decisions and they're enabled, and then all of a sudden you're involved in the mob. And I think, <laughs> but now it's easy for us to talk about the mob because we have all this history. But then those guys were desperate to work. They wanted to be musicians. There's a line at the beginning of the show, you either get mobbed you, up. Yeah, in my neighborhood, there's three ways out. You could join the army, you could get mobbed up, or you could become a star. And that's real. I mean, they really believed that. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll let you three file out to the performance space, and then, Jake, while that's going on, I'll talk to you about the differences between this stage production and, say, the Broadway productions that uh, that folks might have seen. Yeah, this um, production is similar in that we have a very minimal set. It's a awesome unit set built by our, our tech director, Denny Pham, and everything else are pieces. We have tables and chairs. Um, and what's awesome about it is it allows the show to continue, to keep going. We, I believe, have, have two blackouts in the entire show. Um, that's one difference is that we've simplified it even more than the Broadway production. Um, our projections are really awesome, designed by Chris Woolley. They are a little, I'm going to call them more concert than theatrical, and yet, when we need them for theater, they give us a great psych wash, if you will, just sort of that color that you see behind a scene. Behind a scene. Um, another big difference is uh, in various professional productions of Jersey Boys, a number of the seasons play actual instruments on stage. Um, and we, I believe when we were casting the show, we put it on the audition form, please list if you can play an instrument. And that was sort of it. I didn't think about it because we then had to figure out who was going to play these four, yeah, these these four roles. And once it was cast, what we realized is that accidentally, like Jonah can play piano, Jameson can play guitar, Nathan can play anything. So we had these awesome musicians at the ready that wanted to do as much as they could. So our production of Cry For Me really features them playing the instruments that you see them using on stage. Sometimes they're props, right? And I'll be totally honest about that. When they're dancing and moving around like crazy, the instruments themselves may not be live, but in Cry For Me, every single one of them on stage have hot mics. Oh, wow. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Jake, Thank for taking you. part. I've been speaking today with Jake Schaefer, Henry McNulty, Jonah Taylor, and Jameson Elton 
of Jersey Boys. And Jersey Boys opens March 10th, that's this Friday, and runs until March 26th at the Spokane Civic Theater. Tickets and more information are available at spokanecivictheater.com. And to take us out, here are Jonah Taylor, Jameson Elton, and Henry McNulty performing December 1963, Oh What a Night, live. Late December back in 63 What a very special time for me As I remember what a night Oh, what a night You know I didn't even know her name But I was never gonna be the same What a Thank you.